You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. All right, so here we are, part three of our series on Exodus. I was talking to a new couple in, in 830, which was, uh, they were really cool, and I was saying, you know, a lot of what we just do here is we pick a, a book of the Bible and we just go through it, and so we're spending the next few weeks in the book of Exodus. Um, today, man, I, I, today's going to be tough, okay, but I didn't write the book, so uh, it'd be called like Tommy, but like th- this is a tough part of Exodus, so let me just give you a quick update on what we've gone through so far. Um, there's a nation of Israel, God's chosen people, God makes a covenant with Abraham, says, I'm going to do wonderful things to you, I'm going to bless the whole world to you. The nation of Israel ends up as slaves in the nation of Egypt. Egypt is the dominant nation in the world. There's a dude named Moses, he's born uh, to save his life, he's placed in a, in a basket and he's pushed down a river because that's always how you save someone's life. And so he goes down the river, eventually he's found by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, he's raised in an Egyptian household, but he's an Israelite. He kills an Egyptian, he goes on the run, and he ends up a goat herder, like Chris Neal, which is cool. <laughs> he ends up a goat herder somewhere, and he's just doing that thing. Eventually, God comes to him, and God's like, hey, Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt, and, and you're going to set my people free. And y'all remember, Moses is like, what? And Moses is like, let me understand what you want me to do. You want me to go to Egypt, and you want me to say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Ooh, baby, let the people go. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's how that song was written right there. For those of you who grew up in church, that's how that song was written. And so Moses like, that's what you want me to do? Moses like, I can't even talk. I'm not, a, I, I'm not the guy. And God, and I love it, God's like, <laughs> you thought this was about you, Moses. No, you, you said this has nothing to do with you. As a matter of fact, your ineptitude will only demonstrate my magnitude. Like, your inability will demonstrate my ability. I didn't pick you because you were great. I picked you because I am great and I have decided. And so now you're going to go do this thing, take your boy Aaron, go over there, talk to Pharaoh, tell him to let people go, and so all this kind of stuff. And so that's where we're at. Um, and I, there's, there's this beautiful verse in chapter 3. I, I, just wanna, I think this is like the summary of maybe sort of what we've read so far. Exodus 3.12. Oh, I'm pausing. I didn't do that in the first service. Everyone rebelled. Exodus 3, 12. And he said, Assuredly, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. This is God talking, by the way. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses is like, I, I don't, you know, I need a sign. And God said, here's a sign. When this is all said and done, you will worship me on this mountain. I'll give you a sign in a minute. You'll see when this, and sometimes isn't that the way God is? Like he, he's like, on the front end, I need you to have faith. On the back end, I, I, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you some evidence. But I need you to have some, some faith on the front end. And so that's sort of, that's sort of um, that whole thing. And now we've got chapters 5 through 11 we're covering this week. And guys, this is a lot, Okay. I am so glad that I'm not required to cover all of this because you were all in a group studying this. That makes me feel, <laughs> that makes me feel so good to know. Because if I, like, I'm going to give you appetizers today, but the meat of this will happen as you dive into 5 through 11 with your spouse, with your friend, with your group, with somebody. And you, th- this stuff is worthy of digging into. 
As I read these chapters, I struggled with this stuff. And I hope you do too. Nothing we're going to read, you should go, oh, that's great, that's cool. Like, this is difficult stuff. And so really take your time this week as you dive into this stuff. But I'm, I'm going to give you guys a summary statement for chapters 5 through 11. It was written by a guy named A.W. Tozer many, many years ago. And here it is. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about who you are. Right? So let's say, let's say you think that um, you believe in God, but you think God is like sort of like a jello God or like a, a Plato God, and he, he does whatever you want him to do, and he's very malleable and sort of just bends to your will. That affects how you live, doesn't it? That affects maybe where you go or what you do or whatever. Or maybe you think God is just super angry all the time and like you can never get it right and, and God is an angry principal who's just waiting to bust you, you know, and I, and I had a principal like that in eighth grade. And you remember me and I remember you, but like maybe that's what you think about God, but I've forgiven you. And so if that's what you think about God, that affects how you live and what you, whatever you think about God, if you believe in God, it's the most important thing about you. Because all of your life revolves around that thought. And what you think about God matters. It matters. And today as we, as we jump into to some of this Exodus stuff, we're going to see that, um, that what we think about God may not always be easy. And what we think about God may not always be what we want to think about God. And that's okay. And so we're allowed to struggle with this stuff. So let's, Exodus chapter 5, um, verse 1. If you flip your Bible, a couple chapters forward there. Exodus 5, verse 1. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? I, I don't know him, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, this is Moses and Aaron said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to our Lord. Otherwise, he will strike us with a plague and with the sword. Guys, we sang a song this morning, same God, same God, same God, same God. I need you to believe that as we, as we go into this. Because what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so we see in this verse that, that they, come to, to, they come to Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron, they come to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, let the people go. And then they tell them why God wants the people to, to go. It says, um, it, it says go, go back a couple for it. There you go. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that... They may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. So God says, I, I want you to let the people go, and there's a reason. I want them to do something. I want them to celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. When, when you think about, like, the heart of celebrating a feast to God, what word comes to mind? Like, what's the heart of that, really? A heart of celebrating a feast to God? Worship. We have core values here. Some of you are familiar with them. One of them is praise. Like we value praising God. And so what, what he's saying is, I want you to set my people free so that they can praise me. 
Second one, he, he doesn't say, hey, set them free so they can do whatever they want. He doesn't say set them free just for the point of freedom's sake. He didn't say set them free so that they can go be enchained somewhere else, which is what a lot of them chose to do, and it's what a lot of us choose to do. What he says is set them free so that they might praise me. And then go, go ahead to verse 3. In verse 3 it says, um, "Yeah, please let us go a three days during the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord. What, what's the heart of sacrificing to God? I'll give you a hint. Same word. Worship. This verse says, set my people go so they may worship me. Again, I say, set my people go so that they may be worship me. Set my people go. So set them free so that they will praise me. And so the question that, that matters to us, I believe, because what you think about God, when you think about God, is the most important thing about you. What part of your life demonstrates a sacrificial praise? For those of you who believe you're free, for those of you who believe you have been set free, what part of your life demonstrates praise, worship, and sacrifice? And if no part of your life demonstrates praise, worship, and sacrifice, then the question you need to ask is, are you really free? Are you truly free? Because the purpose of your freedom was to praise and worship and sacrifice to God. And if that's not happening in your life, Either you misunderstood the purpose of your freedom or you hadn't really received it. And, and if, if you're like, man, this is tough. You're right, it is. I didn't write it. And we're just getting started. This gets harder before it gets better. Stick with me. It's going to be turbulent for just a few minutes. It's hard stuff. But what in your life? I mean, we, we have an opportunity every morning or every Sunday to come together. you got an hour. Um. Do you even come into, and I'm not harping on you, I love you, you know this. But, but sometimes I think we have to, to talk through the hard stuff. Do you see this hour as an opportunity to come and praise and worship and sacrifice? Or is this an opportunity for you to feel better? Or is this an opportunity for you to, you know, see, see a friend? Or, like, this is our time. We have one hour once a week to give God everything we've got together as the body of Christ. It is not about me, it's about him. And here, here's what I know, and I, here's what I know about kings in this day and age. Kings, when you came into the presence of a king at this day and age, you know what you did? You bowed. You know what didn't matter? Your feelings about bowing. I promise you, kings in this day and age didn't say, okay, everyone come into my court. Those who feel like bowing to me, please do. The rest of you just do whatever the heck you want. No, we, we praise God as an act of emotion but we also praise God as an act of obedience. And so what part of your life? If you don't think you were set free to worship God, then what you think when you think about God is skewed. And there's nothing more important about you than what you think when you think about God. And so that's the first thing we see here. And here's the second thing, man. And this is like, Guys, please go back and read this and struggle with this stuff because this is a verse that's hard. Exodus 4, 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God says, hey, you go back and talk to Pharaoh, but let me tell you this, I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't, won't let the people go. 
And, it, and if you just read that without the them, him, we, me thing that we've been working on right there, uh, you end up thinking that God has removed Pharaoh's free will. But I was talking about this passage with a friend of mine this week, and she reminded me of, of a passage from Robert Alter, who was a Hebrew scholar, and he was a genius. And he translated this whole thing back into Hebrew. And the word harden right there, it doesn't mean as though Pharaoh was kind, righteous, and had a pleasant heart, and then God came in and hardened it. What it means was what was already happening, God hastened. He quickened. He strengthened what was already there. It's like, it's like this. It's like you're painting a wall, right? And you have decided of your own free will to paint the wall. And part of the process is that wall drying, right? That's part Because you just paint something that never dries. Y'all know I'm a carpenter too. And like, if you paint something that never dries, you just made a mess. You didn't make the world better. And so, so imagine now you're painting a wall and then I come in behind you and put a fan on it. I'm finishing something. But you were already headed in that direction. I think we got to struggle with this a little bit. I think we have to struggle with this a little bit. I think we have to, to struggle as we read about a God who will at some point give us what we want. If, if, if we want to drink a cup of, of life away from God, God will say, here, it's full, drink it. And this is hard stuff. But at some point, what we see is a God who will say, listen, if that's what you want, that, we sing songs about his, he always pursues us and always loves us, and those things are true. But it is also true that he is holy and just and righteous. And if you deny him, he will one day deny you. And both these things are true. And I struggle with them. But it's, it's like, it's like that, that punishment. Like, imagine you, you catch your kid. What's the best analogy for this? Imagine you catch your 10-year-old your and they're, um, I don't know, you catch them drinking a Manhattan or something, right? And... I don't know. Just stick with me for a second. We'll, 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 we'll get somewhere. And you sit down with them and you say, oh, I see you want a drink. And you set a bottle of, uh, you know, you set a handle of Evan Williams in front of them. I don't know what a handle is. Yes, you do. <laughs> don't start that mess with me. You set it in front of them. You say, you want a drink? Drink it all. Matter of fact, you want a drink? Drink till you vomit on it. Drink till it makes you sick. Right? It's like uh, you, catch your, you catch your kids smoking. You want to smoke? Great. Here's a carton. Smoke it all in front of me. I had a teacher that made me swallow dip, right? Yeah, as if it wasn't bad enough. Like, but, but you see, it's, it's, and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying, by the way, neither one of those are probably good things to do with your children. <laughs> Don't do anything I just said. But it's, it's the idea of this is what you want. This is, this is what you think you want. Here, take it all. Drink it till you're sick. Drink it till you're begging for mercy. Drink it until you're so miserable that you realize there is no life apart from me, and then you'll return. And we know this. You know, you know this, and I know this. Like, we don't stop a behavior until the pain of the behavior outweighs the reward of the behavior, do we? We don't stop until we learn. We have to learn every lesson the hard way. Humans are the only, like a monkey will see a monkey walk out on a limb and fall, and the monkey's like, I'm not going there. Humans will watch another human walk out, and, well, I'm walking on a limb too. <laughs> we have to learn every lesson the hard way. We can't watch another monkey and learn. <laughs> we got to do it ourselves. And y'all all know I'm telling the truth. Because you're like, yeah, he's right, he's right. This, this is God. God saying, okay, Pharaoh, this is what you want. 
this, this is what you want. Read, read this book with your eyes open with no agenda. I had a conversation with a friend this week, and he was telling me, and we were in a debate, and this friend and I are frequently in debates. And he's like, no, you know, there is the wrath of God, blah, blah, it's non-existent. And I said, dude, read the whole book. Read the whole book with no agenda. Read the whole book believing it's the same God. Because you will never truly appreciate the grace if you don't understand the wrath. And so we got to get there somehow. And then Exodus 5.1, listen to this. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. And they say, this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? His voice, I'm going to let the Israelites go. I don't even know him. And besides, I'm not letting them go. So Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and they said, let them go. And, and, and Pharaoh said, I don't know him. I'm not worried about him. I don't know that God. Matter of fact, I'm in charge here. I'm the king around here. I'm not letting anybody go. Don't even know him. And then I want you to see what God does. God's response to that in his Exodus 7, chapter 17, and what Pharaoh is about to find out is what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Not just for you, but for those who are around you. Exodus 7, 17. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know my name. By this, you will know that I am Yahweh. By this, you will know that I am God. Behold, I am going to strike the water in the Nile with the staff of my hand, and I will turn it to blood. Pharaoh says, I don't know you. I'm not worried about you. I don't care about you. And God says, okay, you will now. This is what you want. You want life without God? You want life without the one who created the beautiful streams? Then how about this? I'll just reverse my creation and give you polluted, bloody streams. Guys, every good thing you have comes from God. Every good, I, I got to fish on Lake Washita Friday. Um, I, I didn't catch any because my brother Jeff, he messed up. But like, <laughs> that's not the point of the story. It was, it's gorgeous. But what I realized as I was out on this lake was there were other people fishing there. And I'm willing to bet that not every single person fishing was a Jesus follower. But every single person had access to the same gorgeous sky, the same gorgeous weather, the same gorgeous water. Because God is so full of grace and mercy that he makes the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. But if God decides to remove that good creation from you, if you say, God, I don't want you, God will take back what is his. And read, read this. Then he says, all right, uh, the, the blood thing didn't get you. How about this? You know how I gave you dominion over the beasts of the field? Well, how about this? Now I give the beasts of the field dominion over you. And he sends frogs and locusts, insects. You don't, you don't want me in the sunshine that I provide? How about this? I'll just darken the world. And God takes away the sunlight. Over and over, in this chapter of Exodus, what we see is a world where you reap what you sow. And God is good, and God is loving, and God is kind, but God demands obedience. And if we continue to deny him and continue to reject him, eventually he lets us walk away so that we can reap what we have sown. He's like, here, take it. This is, you, you want the world without me? Is it really what you want? Here it is. And you see this in the story. And I don't like it. I don't like this. I don't like this part of the Bible. And many of us, we don't ever talk about the wrath of God and the righteousness and the holiness because we're a little embarrassed by it. 
And I, I think God gives us permission to question it. I think God gives us permission to not like it. I don't think we have permission to dismiss it. I don't think we have permission to act like it's not there. And then you see the worst plague ever. Pharaoh's heart stays hardened, and the blood doesn't do it, and the locusts don't do it, and the, and the moon, you know, the, the darkness doesn't do it. And then you see this in Exodus eleven four. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I'm going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land in Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle will die as well. So here shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been before and will never be again. If you will read this with no agenda and not struggle with this verse, you are fooling yourself and you're not really thinking. This is God Almighty. And he says, you know what? I've had enough. That's it. And by the way, do y'all remember a story earlier in Exodus where firstborn were killed? Y'all remember that? Who, who, who initiated that? Pharaoh. So God says, you want a world where these things happen? Drink it. Here's your cup. Here's the world you have chosen. Here's, you've rejected me. Now you're getting the fullness of wrath that's here. This is the darkness you called down. This is the curse you called down. I am God and I am good and I love you. But if you reject me, then I'm sorry. But I will let you walk away and you will reap what you have sown. I don't even think God loves this part of it. I think this breaks God's heart that people would reject him. But you cannot separate the love of God from the wrath of God, and you can't separate the mercy from the righteousness, and you can't separate the, 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 the kindness from the justice. We can't just divide God into the parts we like and build a theology around that. Because when you think about God, what you think about God is the most important thing about you, and if you don't fear him at all, then you're in great danger. And you're like, Tommy, this isn't your normal sermon. You're right, it's not. I don't enjoy preaching this stuff. But in, in Proverbs 9, 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There must be some fear in us. Now, I'm not talking about a dangerous fear that separates you. I'm talking about a righteous fear that when you talk to him, there's reverence in your heart. And yes, he is your friend. And yes, he is the good father. But he is also the king of the universe. And when you approach him, you must approach him as though he is king, as though he is righteous, as though he is holy, as though it is a gift from him that we're even allowed to draw another breath. And yet we approach him like, like we're doing him a favor. Like, God, I showed up. Like, he spoke this world into existence. And he can speak now and everything can change. This is the most powerful force the universe will ever know. He is king. He is master. He is author. He is the finisher and the perfecter. He is everything. And if you don't fear that a little bit, then you will never appreciate how much he loves you. The grace, guys, in, in a few weeks, next week, actually, next week, like we're going to talk about one of the most beautiful things the world has ever seen. 
a story that pointed to the greatest story the world, world would ever know. It's called Passover. We're talking about it next week. And it points to the greatest act of mercy and kindness that the world will ever know. But if you don't get this, if you are serving a flimsy, Play-Doh, malleable, jello God who has no justice or righteousness, then the grace means nothing. It means nothing. And like, Jesus came to the world full of grace and full of truth. And, and we churches are supposed to represent both those things, full of grace and full of truth. And like, maybe sometimes this, we've swung a little too far on one way, um, definitely not the truth way. Maybe we've swung a little too far on the grace way. And, and that's because we love the love. And we should. Like, it's, it's the fear of God that, that, that leads you to wisdom, but it's the love of God that leads you to repentance. And so both these things matter. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing I asked my friend to do. Read the book. Read the book. Read the book believing it's the same God. Read the book believing that the, the Jesus on Easter is, is the God right here. Read the book with your eyes open and learn to fear him just a little more. Just a little more. Because what you ask him for, he will give you in fullness. So I would ask for wisdom. I would ask for wisdom. I would ask to know him better. Because in this story, we see what happens when we ask for life without him. This is hard. This is Exodus. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.